Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings, salutations, and hello to all of my listeners, my unlucky lounge rats. Good to see you've walked back this way for a brand new episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master, denizen of the unlucky lounge. And joining us as always is the 2-2 that's always there for you on turn number two. And also here for us as we are prepping for the MTGA Arena Open Sealed Edition. His name is Borok, my bear buddy. We are going to be playing some high stakes sealed soon. It certainly is a watershed moment, and we want to make sure that we, and of course, all of you, my listeners, are best prepared to engage in the sealed format. I've been doing this type of deck building for decades, and I can tell you from so many years of experience, it is uniquely different, and hopefully, we're going to see some of that difference in our episode here today. But before we get to that, a few bits of housekeeping and upkeeping. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out, BLEAV.com, or wherever you download your audio goodness. Keep your midday blues away with Believe. And the show, of course, is for all of you, my listeners. Go ahead and find us on those socials and join in on the further conversation. Find me on TikTok, on Twitter, and on YouTube, Draft and Draft Corey. My Instagram, Corey Demone Enriquez. And if the show is giving you some joy, think about finding us on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash draft and draft. Help us keep the lights on here in the Unlucky Lounge. Well, that is enough of the housekeeping and the upkeeping. The sorcerer's broom is put back into the conjurer's closet. And before we get to our sealed talks conversations and what sealed and Kaldheim might look like, I want to give you a brief update on last week's FNP five-color bear ultimatum deck. It was a blast to draft and to play. Though we ended up with a loss... During the actual episode, we ended up going a respectable 5-3 and three with the deck. Certainly there were some holes, a little light on some good top-end removal, and not a lot of, say, Ravenous Lindworm endgame action, but the deck still performed admirably. And putting up 5 wins is totally fine. The thing about doing these five color decks in call time is you really need to make sure you've got somewhere to build to, some place to go. And we had a lot of those grounding pieces, some great color fixing, some good solid card advantage in those Path to the World trees. It just got a little bit tough. And I think identifying what your subsequent color is going to be past green in your five color deck Find it and read those signals clearly. If I would have seen that I was green-white a little bit earlier in pack two, I really think we would have had a vastly different deck, and we could have maybe gone a little bit further, but that's neither here nor there. What is here is that we are going to pop on a sealed pool here with call time to get us ready for that arena open. I mean, hey, I could use a little bit of that extra snuff. I know the Unlucky Lounge could use some improvements. I mean, I wasn't actively thinking about a smoothie maker in the... I guess my question is, do we really think it's... I suppose it's multi-purpose. I'll think about it. I don't know if it's very practical, but don't worry. I'll think about it. But before we can even think about adding things here to the show in the Unlucky Lounge, well, 
We got to do well at the sealed competition here this weekend. For my listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with the sealed format, which we've done a little bit here. We did it with our Commander Legends sealed pool and a little bit earlier, a few weeks ago actually, with our Call Time pre-release kit opening that was dual cast. Check that out as well on YouTube, Draft and Draft Corey. There are some really notable things that you kind of have to pay attention to when it comes to the world of sealed. First off, the fact that you're not drafting the cards and you don't have a control of signals or cards to pick, that sometimes the deck options are fairly limited. They're not as wide-reaching, especially in a set like, say, Call Time, where card advantage is truly king. The format is slow enough and the five-color snow decks are strong enough that it isn't necessarily in a bad matchup against a super aggro deck. Now, I'm not saying that a very strong aggro deck can't outtake a control five-color matchup, but even so, the five-color deck has tools to try and make it work, be it Crush the Weak or Certland Frostpire. It has ways of wiping the board and not just at the rare level. And in formats like Sealed, when you can't necessarily get all of those optimal two drops in the six packs that you're opening to make your sealed deck, it's a whole lot less likely that you can find aggressive decks. There's just less opportunity for you to get that optimal amount of one and two drops. Luckily, in this set, aggressive decks might have a chance with the presence of equipment and that equipment are pretty good. As we said at the start of the format, and as the weeks have gone by, the central core thesis of Call Time is optimizing your mana. With the double spelling, with equipping, with foretelling, and maybe even some of those activated abilities on your battlefield, use all of your mana. Make sure you have those mana sinks. And aggressive-based white decks do have a decent mana sink in some of the equipments, like Goldvein Pick like Tormentor's Helm. So have those pieces, find those pieces in your sealed pool and take advantage of them if you can and support them with other aggressive cards. The real difference between sealed and draft is while you can potentially table a two drop that no other deck on your table might want based on the signals that you are seeing, that does not exist in sealed. You are subject to opening the fundamental building blocks of your deck, but make sure you're looking for those building blocks. This can include clinch combat spells like Run Amok, maybe some of those good equipment like Tormentor's Helm, maybe it's a key uncommon that can swing the board starkly in your favor, or maybe it is just a bomb rare, but pay attention to the strongest plays that your six packs that you open can make. And after you see what your deck can do, pay attention to what the limited format is. What is it that Call Time brings to us? Those five color snow decks, red white aggressive builds, blue red giants. These will be archetypes you will see. People are going to make them happen. But thankfully, with modern magic design, almost all the cards are playable in some way, shape, or form, so you'll be able to make these things work. In any case, I think that's enough talking about this sealed format. Six packs open, build your 40-card deck. Can we 
find a sweet sealed pool to practice with in anticipation for the MTGA Arena Open? Well, let's find out. But first, let's celebrate all of you. Grab a drink, grab a snack, maybe even crack a pack. Let's celebrate all the great that you do on a daily basis with this, the untapped step. Ah, cheers to all of you, my unlucky lounge rats, as we open up our six packs here for our MTGA practice sealed pool. Well, we're doing pretty good, actually. We have two rares that I consider a bit of a miss. One in Reckless Crew. This is the silly sorcery that makes a bunch of dwarf berserkers equal to the number of equipment you control. Uh, then we also have King Norfie's Betrayal. It's a fine card. It's the blue-black rare cycle that you mill cards, exile creatures or planeswalkers from graveyards, and then the next two chapters, you can cast those cards. Pretty nice. But the cards that are really standing out to me here in these six rares that we opened... Eska's Chariot, 4-4, four, four, Crew 4 Vehicle for 3 and a green. ETBs make 2 cats, and then whenever it attacks, you get to make a copy of a target token you control. It's a 4-4 four, four for 4 that comes in with 2 creatures, and then you get to populate those kitties, or who knows, maybe an icy monolith from Savala? That would be sweet. Speaking of green-red... Waking the Trolls. The green-red enchantment saga is in this pack too. Four red-green chapter one, destroy target land. Chapter two, you put a land from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And chapter three, you get to make four four green troll warrior creature tokens with trample equal to the difference. Really nice top end. I think a lot of people seeing this card kind of looked at it initially and thought it's a bit underwhelming, but because of the slow speed of the format, this card has tended to overperform. It is a great reason to go into late game green base multicolor strategies. And the fact that sealed is typically a slower format than draft, it's great to see Awaking the Trolls. Two of the rares look good. One in Calamity Bear, the 3-4 for two red red that doubles damages from giant sources you control. Love it. It's a 6-4 for four, that is only going to become better with more giants we have. That includes shapeshifters, or maybe some of the other good red giants we could potentially open in our commons and uncommons. The final card sticks out to me and makes me want to splash is Draugr Necromancer. 4-4 four, four for three and a black. Non-token creatures your opponent's control get exiled, and then you can cast those cards that have snow counters on them by spending mana, and your snow mana can be any color to cast those cards. This card benefits you from doing multicolor snow decks. And even though, even though, this might look like right now, with having three different rares in red and green to be a splash, this is a fine splash for us. It's a fine card for us to build into late game equity. We can find it with Draugr Necromancer. And if we can find some Snowlands and some Fixing, maybe some Glittering Frost, maybe some Shimmer Drift Veil, some Snow Duels, we could be in a very good place. But let's go ahead and see if the rest of the pool, the Uncommons and Uncommons, majority of what our deck is going to be, can support these Jund Rares. Yeah! At the common and uncommon slot, it looks like we are going to be able to pull off this Jund build. Partially due to having a really nice surplus of solid red, green, and black cards. First off, the thing that really sticks out to me is Triple Frostbite in our pool. 
Wow, that is a lot of good snow damage. And honestly, we have the snowlands to support it. We have triple snow-covered mountain, double shimmer drift veil, an alpine meadow, and on top of all that, we've got a bear to help us out. We've got spirit of the alder guard. This is the 04 for three and a green. When an ETB, search your library for a snowland, put it into your hand, shuffle your library, and then it gets plus one plus O oh for each other snow permanent you control. It can get one of our Shimmer Drift Veils. Help us out with our splash of Draugr Necromancer. And this Necromancer gets a little bit more support on the splash too because we're going to be able to play one of the best uncommons in this set in a card known as Binding the Old Gods. It's the green-black enchantment saga. Chapter 1, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Then chapter 2, search for a forest card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped. And then chapter 3, creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn, all for a four-costing Golgari Saga. So nice, really happy to have a little bit more reason to splash around. Now, while we don't have any of the Jund Snow Duels, nor do we have a Glittering Frost, I think the presence of our double Shimmer Drift Veil and our Spirit of the Altar Guard is going to push us forward to getting some really, really nice stuff going on. Our end game is looking okay. We've got that Waking the Trolls that we talked about before. We do have a single Ravenous Lindworm, which is really nice. And we have three cards that are at the three drop slot that are doing a pretty good end game impression. The first one is Bloodline Pretender. This is the 2-2 for three colorless. It's a changeling that when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type, and then whenever another creature of the chosen type enters the battlefield under your control, you put a counter on the Pretender. This card can get out of hand pretty quickly, and we are playing two changelings consequentially as filler in the deck, one being Guardian Gladewalker and the other being Masked Vandal. Almost guaranteed we're going to run these pretty decent green two drops that can have some effect on the late game. Just do yourselves a favor, Unlucky Lounge Rats. Don't name changeling when you cast Bloodline Pretender because all of your changelings are already another creature type. I'd rather name any other random creature that could potentially be in your deck to get the most out of this card. Don't be like me. Name another creature type that is not changeling. Even if you do see those two changelings in hand, they can be another creature. Don't do it. The other three drops that are doing a good endgame impression, a card that has very much changed my opinion of it over time, is Ice High Troll. And for this pool, we have a pair of them. This is the 2-3 for 2 and a green. It has an activated ability of Snow Snow to give it plus 2 plus 0, indestructible, until end of turn, and then you tap it. PSA, make sure you activate that ability while it's in combat. You don't want to activate it before you attack or block with it and then accidentally tap it down. But the good news is that the commons and uncommons in this deck are going to do just enough work to put together a 40. But what will that final 40 look like? What's going to be that extra little bits and bobs that could maybe make this deck go from average to good to maybe even near great? Well, 
then you should keep your podcast dial firmly set to this show because we are going to find that final 40 here in our MTGA Arena Open Sealed Deck Practice. We'll see you in just a second, my unlucky lounge rats. Welcome back, all of my unlucky lounge rats. I hope you've refreshed, refueled, and good to see you've returned as we're going to break down this final 40 in our sealed deck practice for the coming MTGA Limited Arena Open. The Jun deck, it is a thing. We are there, and I want to be able to play those four rares. Now, even though when it comes to Limited, no one or even four cards makes up a whole pool, but because of that slower pace of sealed that we talked about earlier, you do want to pay attention to those big, powerful cards that can make a massive impact. So that means that if you can fit in three rares by trying to go three colors, give it a try. If the deck looks cohesive, try to compare it against anything else you could put together. If it compares, great. If not, then move right along back to playing those rares. And for our other colors of blue and white, there really isn't that much standing out to us. Nothing in the rare slot, and we don't have any Augury Ravens, or more than one Mistwalker, or any other of the really good aggressive white and blue tempo cards to make me want to play that deck over these powerful rares. So then the question is, after playing all of the good cards, the ones we talked about already, even a Demon Bolt that I didn't mention, what else is going to go in the deck? Well, this is where the difference between Draft and Sealed really comes out. I want to make sure I can break through board stalls, that I can continuously make plays that my opponents have to answer. That means I'm going to play equipment that I can possibly put into the deck. This includes an Elven Bow. Now, while it is one of those equipment that makes a creature when it enters the battlefield, this is one of the lower impact of it. It makes a 1-1 Elf that's equipped to an equipment that gives it plus 1, plus 2, and reach. It makes it a 2-3 Reacher for 3, which is on curve, but not that big and strong. But by being able to move that bow to another creature, like, say, Ice High Troll, that's some big game. And unless your opponent is really getting a lot of good removal, that's a pretty hard combination of cards to answer. Additionally, with the presence of those trolls, it makes me want to play this Raven Wings that's in our pool. This is the two colorless equipment that equips for two colorless, and the equipped creature gets plus one plus oh and has flying and is a bird in addition to its other types. This is a great example of a card that is less seen in draft, but should see more play in sealed. Every creature I play gets to become a flying threat. This is really big game that your opponents have to find a way to interact with. It's not completely uninteractable with, say, Masked Vandal running around at the common slot in this format, but it certainly is a card that must be answered. So those two cards definitely made it. What else is going to make the play? Well, I do have two Dwarven Reinforcements. You know, two 2-1 two, Red Dwarf Berserker creature tokens for 3 and red. It's nice, and it's close, but it doesn't really synergize 
with anything else that we're doing in our deck outside of, say, Bloodline Pretender. So instead, I wanted to play some more cards that can get me incremental card advantage or help me smooth out my draws or even my card draw. So that includes playing an Immer Sturm Raider, the 2-1 for 1 red that when ETBs, you get to rummage, discard a card, then draw a card. Yeah, why not? It's nice. Additionally, since this game is a little bit slower in the sealed side of life, I am going to run a silly Cinderheart Giant. The 7-6 for 5 red red, Giant Berserker, Trample, and when it dies, it deals 7 damage to a creature and opponent controls at random. Well, it is a giant, and it does work with Calamity Bearer, so why not? <laughs> and the last card, which did require a little bit of finesse and thought, I'm going to play raise the Draugr. One in a black, return a creature to your hand, or return two creatures that share a type. I've already got three shapeshifters. I've got quite a number of berserkers in the build. And having the three frostbites, I'm going to want to use my removal to kill off early threats, and probably do a lot of double blocking to take care of bigger things on my opponent's ground. So a card like Raise the Draugr can do some fine work at getting me back some of those cards I'm going to have to sacrifice to deal with bigger threats, even though it is an off-color splash. Having that mountain, the double Shimmerdrift Veil, and our Spirit of the Alder Guard should provide enough nice fixing for our third color to support the three black cards that I want to play in that Raise the Draugr, the Draugr Necromancer, and the Binding of the Old Gods. I'm excited for this deck. I think it has some ground to play quite nicely and will do well in the best of three queue with having quite a bit of reach in the actual mechanic and the end game side of things as well. And hey, we even have two Broken Wings and two 4-2 Reach Spiders. We're pretty set for going into the board. How's this deck going to do? Well, let's find out by jumping into our first game here in our sealed practice. Our game is queued. We are underway and we are going to start on the draw. Our hand makes up six cards and a single forest, and this is a very easy mulligan. Let's go down to six. As our opponent also mulliganed, good to see that, so we're not getting too far behind. Uh, this hand is Snow-Covered Mountain, two forests, and then we have Draugr Necromancer, Frostbite, Masked Vandal, and a Spirit of the Alder Guard. That is a nice keep, so we're going to keep this on six, and our opponent mulligan down to five. Ooh, well... That looks pretty nice for us. I'm going to throw back the Masked Vandal. This gives us two four drops and a nice bit of early interaction in a Frostbite. I think this is a pretty good hand for us to start to take care of our opponent that might be potentially trying to deploy early and maybe catch us off guard. And we can still go two different four drops, one after another, one of which being a pretty nice rare in Draugr Necromancer. Our opponent opens on a snow-covered island and a frost auger. This card is pretty nice and actually might be quite good 
if their deck is composed nicely, this is the one two for one blue that you pay a snow, look at the top card of your library. If it's a snow card, you can reveal it and put it into your hand. This is one of the cards I think that could potentially get them back into this game after a mold of five. So I'm just gonna use one of the three frostbites in my deck to get rid of a pretty good card that can do some good work for them. For our draw, we drew a forest. They are now on their turn with their second play of the game, they're going to play a Glacial Floodplain. This is the white-blue Snow Dual Land, and we draw an Ice Hide Troll for our turn. Very nice! That's going to go quite nicely with the Spirit of the Alder Guard that we're planning to play on turn 4. Our opponent plays a Swamp and then passes the turn after foretelling a card. Okay, that seems pretty good. Uh, we draw a Binding of the Old Gods, so this Spirit of the Alder Guard is very, very much going to go get that Shimmerdrift Veil, which is going to swiftly name Black so we can cast both the Draugr Necromancer and the Binding of the Old Gods that is in our hand. But we are starting off on an Ice High Troll, and ooh, they play Cauld Ring, the Rhyme Staff. Wow. Well, that's a nice one. This is the Legendary Snow Artifact for one blue-black you can tap it and play a snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. It enters the battlefield tapped, but they can bring back that Frost Augur that we killed earlier. Well, that was a really nice counter to our early bit of removal on our Frostbite, but we are going to be able to destroy that Cauld Ring with our Binding of the Old Gods, because Binding of the Old Gods can get any non-land. Yeah, that's pretty good for our position. In fact, I was kind of thinking that maybe we want to save that Binding of the Old Gods for a bit more of a high-impact card, like, say, a Icebind Pillar, or, in this situation, a Cauldring the Rhyme Staff. Go figure that things become prophetic and turn out exactly how you think they are in your minds. I'm just that crazy, friends. I'm just that crazy. Our opponent is tanking a little bit here as they play an island, still have yet to commit to activating that Cauld Ring, which I would if I was them, and in fact they do, and swiftly cast that Frost Augur. So they're going to get some equity off of that card, which is pretty nice, pretty nice for them. And now they're going to Raven form uh, our Spirit of the Alderguard, turning our 2-4 lovely bear now into a 1-1 Flying Raven. Sad times, but we do draw Awaking the Troll. Pretty good, pretty good follow-up there. This is going to allow us to attack for three here with our Ice High Troll and the 1-1 Raven that our opponent gave us. Shimmerdrift Veil is going to enter as a black land, and I'm not going to be too sad about anything that happened here. Next turn, as things plan, I'm going to play the Waking the Trolls and destroy probably their Glacial Floodplain. They activate their Frost Augur and they find a Sculptor of Winter. Wow. Well, I did not expect green, considering how this game is going, but... It is what happened. That is what happened. Uh, we drew a Tuscary Firewalker. This is the 3-2 with the boast for a colorless. It allows you to impulse draw, exile the top card of your library, and play it this turn. I like that card just in general. I don't think it's necessarily a card that needs to go in just the aggressive deck, so I was pretty happy to put it in the library. Waking the Trolls is going to come down here on turn 6. We're going to get rid of their untapped land, that Glacial Floodplains. And that's going to come to our field, and they're going to scoop right away. Well, they mold a 5. 
then we played a pretty massively high impact card. So, yeah, that seems like a pretty reasonable scoop. So, they played that Cauldron. This card, I think, can really snowball out of control. And it looks like they are base blue. They played three islands, one of which is snow covered, and a glacial floodplains. Cards like this lead me to believe they're probably playing a Mistwalker in the main, maybe an Augur Raven or two. So, I think I'm pretty happy to find some space for at least a singular Broken Wings. I don't know about two. I couldn't play up to two. I think for now I'm happy to play one, and I'm gonna cut my Guardian Glide Walker. This is the one one for one green changeling. ETBs, you put a counter on target creature you control. Card's fine. Nothing to write home about, and I'd rather just have a hard removal spell in my deck. It does leave my Raise the Draugr, one of my last cards I put in the deck, at a little bit more of a less synergistic place, but I'm willing to do that if that means taking care of a strong card like Cauldring the Rhyme Staff or potentially an Ice Spine Pillar that I'm anticipating they might play. Who knows? Maybe we'll even get a Binding uh, the Monster also off one of our creatures with that Broken Wings. Broken Wings is such a cool card. It, it does so much work, and when you put it in out of your board, and into your main, it can do some things that you don't expect that it could potentially do in matchups because it can get artifacts, creatures that have flying or enchantments. So hopefully this Broken Wings is going to do some good work. Maybe I'm supposed to play two, but we'll know more here after our game two here in our best of three sealed deck playing. I don't know why I stalled out saying all those words, I just could not figure out a way to kind of end that segue. I'm going to stop talking now and wait for the game to queue up. Alright, our game is queued up and right now we are currently waiting on our opponent to decide whether they want to play or draw first and we don't often get to ask the question of whether or not it's right to play or draw first. Typically it's better to just always choose to play first, but when we have slower formats, sometimes we have to ask that question in limited if we actually want to draw instead of being on the play, because sometimes that extra card draw can make or break a game. And in best of three, after losing a game, it's important to note that choice. I think if you're in a super grindy matchup, still it's probably right to take the play just because of that narrative of really having to max out every single play and there are a lot of card draw options with say behold the multiverse or other random card draw things here and there i'm kind of losing a few off the top of my head i guess frost auger would be a good example of that for our opponents there's also some really good card synergy in like path of the world tree spirit of the alder guard I still think it's probably right to take the play, even in slower matchups. Sometimes you can just win a game by sticking an early 6-6 off of, say, a Sculptor of Winter and a Glittering Frost being on one of your lands. Well, it looks like our opponent actually just kind of AFK'd, and, well, that leads us to a victory here with the sealed deck in kind of an anticlimactic fashion. Whoa. Yeah, I suppose that was a pretty easy win for a best-of-three match, but there's still quite a bit to take away from this episode. Look for those high-impact cards, the good uncommons, the strong rares. Can you make them work? 
going into three, four, maybe multiple colors is way more reasonable and sealed because it's a slower format, because decks really need to line up in order to get a good, solid, focus two color aggressive, or even faster mid-range kind of deck. So feel free to start off on finding big impact later game plays. Be aware of those sideboarding choices. Look at cards like Broken Wings. Figure out what the matchups are like. How does your deck align with your opponent to going into best of three matches? And find cards that are going to support that. When it comes to games two and three, if you have the choice, I still think staying on the play is better, even though call time is more about those big, high-impact rares and later game plays. If you stick with playing, they really couldn't go too wrong. So, those are just some of the thoughts I want you to take with you going into this MTGA sealed limited weekend. But I want to know how y'all do. So find me on socials, on Twitter, on TikTok, on YouTube, Draft and Draft Corey. Find me on Instagram, Corey, Demone, Enriquez. And if the show is giving you joy, patreon.com backslash draft and draft. Help us keep the lights on. And thank you to all of my current patrons. Couldn't do this without all of you. Well, it looks like I found the bottom of my drink, and so we've reached the end of another episode. My name is Corey, joined alongside Borok. <laughs> And this has been Draft and Draft Friday Night Podcast Edition, your draft on the go. Now go out there and make some magical arena open memories of your own. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.